Our scripture this morning is a very familiar scripture reading of the prodigal son. We'll be reading from Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll go from 11 through 32. In the church Bibles, it's on 1093, 1093, if you want to use that Bible. Verse 1 and 2 and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs." He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to even go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. 
God bless his word. There you go. Sinners and saints. It's a brand new series. We're glad you're here with us today. Uh, I just want to start off by saying those words, you know, sinners and saints, they're kind of, they carry a lot of meaning uh, for different people in our culture and society in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, I grew up as maybe the only Saints fan in New Mexico, you know, New Orleans Saints NFL. And, uh, you know, this was back in the era where, you know, I mean, we haven't been particularly great shakes the last couple of years, but, I mean, there was a, there was a dark age, right? There was a dark age where, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> before Drew Brees, when was the last time we even had a, a quarterback that was fun to watch? Maybe like Archie Manning, and we were terrible then. Uh, so it was, a, it was a rough time growing up. You know, this was during the era when even the Saints in the Superdome were ashamed of being associated with the team. So can you imagine how it felt to live in New Mexico? <laughs> no one else was... And you did not get Saints games on, uh, on the television out there. Uh, you just had to cheer from afar. <laughs> from, there was no... Uh, you know, not even like NFL on demand back then, right? As if uh, my parents would have bought me that. But there were, there were no Saints games on. But you know what's funny to me about Saints fans... With the possible exception of maybe like the Oakland Raiders, they're the centerest looking bunch of fans that you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, there are some crazy looking Saints fans, right? When you, when you tune into the games, I mean, they just look crazy. And so it's funny to me, you know, you got, you got, it's New Orleans, it's, it's Mardi Gras culture and all that, and, and uh, you've got just about the centerest looking bunch of saints you ever did see. And, you know, it's, it's maybe appropriate as we begin to talk about sinners and saints this week and, and over the coming weeks that uh, there is a lot of interesting feelings and maybe even confusion about, you know, what, who are sinners, who are saints. Uh, there's sinners who are proud to call themselves sinners, right? I mean, it's like either a joke or, or like a badge of merit, you know, like, yeah, who, let's see who can be the worst sinner. Then there's sinners who are offended just by the label sinner. Uh, you know, how, who are you to call me that? Uh, and then there's Saints, you know, who think of saints as, as you know, like the apostles or, um, you know, in the Catholic Church there's a whole host of saints. And, and there's not very many of us in the church who would like to be labeled saints, really. You know, it might be okay in a broad sense to talk about all the saints. But if you go and start calling me a saint, I'm going to be like, no, no, you got the wrong guy, you know. <laughs> and sometimes saints is even used almost in a derogatory sort of way, like basically almost synonymous with hypocrite, right? If you say it with the right tone of voice and or you're talking about the right sort of person. And so there's a lot of confusion and, and even about like how do these two groups relate or do they? I would think that when we talk about sinners and saints in American culture, most people would see that as two groups who either have nothing to do with each other, don't want anything to do with each other, or maybe even that are antagonistic towards each other. Uh, when you get into politics and things like that, uh, there are, there's your Christian groups and your non-Christian groups, and they're often at odds with each other. And this happens and plays out in practical ways in families, where some are 
Christian and some are not Christian in, uh, in workplaces where some are Christian and some are not Christian in our schools where there's this tension of should there be prayer in, associated with school or should there not be and is it okay for a teacher or a coach to wear their faith on their sleeve or is it not and, and there's just in a million ways across our society there's a growing tension between sinners and saints you might say because our culture is an increasingly split, divided, 50-50, in a way that it hasn't been in the past. And so I think it's worthwhile to take a few weeks here and explore what does God say about sinners and saints? How does God view sinners and saints? Specifically, how does Jesus view sinners and saints? Could those two groups get along? Should they get along? Uh, Could one man bring these two groups together in a way that no one else could? Uh, This first week's a little different. It's going to be kind of an introductory message, kind of geared towards everybody. Sinners and saints, and and especially our church. And... uh, but as we, as we move forward, you know, there's going to be kind of a series of open letters uh, for, to hopefully open some doors for some maybe open-minded saints and open-minded sinners. And so, you know, next week we'll, do, uh, we'll have a, a sermon titled Dear Saint. And then in a couple of weeks we'll have one called Dear Sinner. And then we'll have some variations of that. But today let's just begin by trying to drill down to the very basic question for both sinners and saints, no matter what camp you might identify yourself, whether begrudgingly or or happily, (laughs) whichever camp you find yourself in today, or maybe you're not even sure, let's just find out how does God view these two groups that are sometimes called sinners and saints, whether or not you like to be labeled that (laughs) particular label or not. You know, this story that we read, it's about sinners and saints. And it's a, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. I don't know if you've ever caught that before. I mean, it's a familiar story, and yet, for a lot of us, maybe most of us, uh, we have been missing a lot about this story. There's, first of all, a, a particular audience that it was written to. It was tax collectors and sinners, but it was also Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, if you've been in church very much, uh, you know, you've got certain uh, connotations or, or feelings attached to that word Pharisees. It's right up there with hypocrites and jerks and that kind of thing. But if we could just back up a little bit, in that day, you know, tax collectors were about as sinnery as you got. Sinners at large were included in the group. This would have been, you know, a lot of times it talks about tax collectors and prostitutes and things like that. There's these, it just covers the whole broad spectrum of non-Jews, but also Jews who were not living according to the law of Moses, who were not being a part of the religious life of Judaism the way that, you know, they weren't following the law. But then you had another group of people who... You know, were either the Pharisees and teachers of the law or the people who followed the teachers of the law. And these were people who were very religious. 
who did try to follow the rules and abide by the laws that God had set forth through Moses and had explained through the prophets and they were dedicated and both of these groups were told were there and present they were in attendance when Jesus spoke up and began to give three stories the last of which is one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told and we call it the story of the prodigal son but as we think about this we need to remember who the audience was that there were both sinners and saints in the room and, and the story was directed to both to both groups of people who just like in our culture were sometimes at odds with one another and there was a, a quite a divide there and Jesus tells the perfect story as only Jesus could and for us today I, th- I think we're going to all be challenged by this but there's some things that I think that we've probably missed see for a lot of us you know, we, unlike the audience in Jesus' day who, who would have understood that it was aimed at both groups you know I mean for one they're sitting there next to each other right they're, they're next to sinners are, are in the same room with saints and saints are in the same room with sinners and it would have been awkward and there would have been some tension and, and so when Jesus starts telling this story it would have been clear to them that he was addressing both groups but for us somewhere along the road uh, we labeled this the story of the prodigal son. And I don't know if it was, you know, if the chicken comes before the egg or the egg before the chicken. I don't know if the, if the mishap happened before we labeled it the prodigal son or after because we labeled it the prodigal son. But as it is, most of us know and love this story, but we check out halfway through. We think that the climax and the main point is that moment when the prodigal son comes home and the father throws the big party and says this son of mine who was lost has come home and we all love to stop there because it's such a nice feeling inside and the father's love is so incredible and this one who was lost has been found and that's the story that we a lot of us identify with on a personal level and that's the story that we love and so that's where we usually stop but that was only half the audience that was there and that's only one of the sons that Jesus told a story about and that was only the first son and Jesus was just getting warmed up where we tend to stop because we don't like the second part as much it's kind of a downer (laughs) compared to the big fun warm fuzzy sort of feeling part there in the middle but here's what it says right after that spot where a lot of us tend to stop says that uh, the older brother became angry that other brother the brother who had stayed home the brother that had done what he was supposed to do instead of telling his dad I wish you were dead now give me your inheritance and then running off and wasting it the son that had stayed home and stayed faithful and stayed doing what he was supposed to be doing who had followed all the rules who had done things right according to society and what he should be doing the one who was uh, that brother he became angry when he heard what was going on back home when he showed up And they said, oh yeah, there's a party going on in there because your younger brother's back. He became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, when this son of yours, you know, parents, you know how this works, right? (laughs) You've said that to your spouse at some point, possibly, if you have kids. Uh, So... When this son of yours, has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says, My son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours <laughs> was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then it ends. That's a cliffhanger. That's as though Jesus had told the story the other way around. And when he got to the prodigal son, he said, Yeah, he was out uh, you know, with the, sh- with the pigs. And he kind of had this thought like, Man, my father's servants eat better than this. The end. What happened? Did he go home or did he not? Did the father welcome him or did he not? You know, or maybe if he had gone forward a little more and the, the son went home and uh, he was walking home and rehearsing his speech, the end. <laughs> what, what did the father do? Did the father go out? Did, the, did he come home? Did, what happened? And so it is with this older son. We know he's out there. We know he's mad. The father goes out to him, explains the situation to him. And then we don't know what happened. But here's what we do know. We know that the father treated both sons the same. And he gave both sons an opportunity. You know, one of the great fears of my ministry that I've had since I've been in ministry is not just that we as the church will miss out on our mission that that there will be uh, sinners out there who don't who aren't found because we don't go we don't do our job it's not just that my one of the great fears of my ministry is that someday we're going to be standing there at the gates of glory And people who I have loved and people who I have served alongside and people who have frankly helped pay my salary. (laughs) Maybe even people whose funerals I've preached will be standing outside shaking their head refusing to go in because they don't approve of what's going on inside. The, the people who are in there, they disapprove of them. The, the way things are being done, they disapprove of them. Maybe even the music that's being played, they disapprove of. And so they stand outside. I don't worry as much about God casting them out because of a bad attitude or something like that or not not sharing his heart more just that they won't even want to go in. But the truth is 
that both the sinners who are far from God and, and the saints who are trying to follow His ways but sometimes don't necessarily share the Father's heart, they both have equal opportunity with God. They do. If you think about it, we, we celebrate the fact that in, when, as the prodigal son was coming home, the, the father ran out to meet the son. He went out. He didn't wait for the son to come knock on the door, right? He went out. Well, look at the older son. He's storming around outside, and what does the father do? He doesn't stay inside and say, well, he can get in here if he wants to get in here. He goes out, right? He meets that older son out, just like he did with the younger son. And he begs him to come and join the celebration. But the cliffhanger, which you've got to think Jesus put there on purpose, is that we don't know what the older son decided to do. And when we look at our New Testament... And we look at those people that that Jesus spoke to. We know that some of those saints joined the movement. They joined the movement that, that launched after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were central to it. They were leaders in it. But we also know that the majority did not. And they refused to go in. To be a part of such a celebration. They disapproved of it. But the fact remains that the choice was theirs. Because God cares about sinners and He cares about saints. And He gives both an equal opportunity to be part of that celebration someday. To be part of what He's doing even now. And just as the choice was theirs, the choice is yours. And the choice is mine. If you're with us today and, and perhaps you're in that sinner camp, you know, maybe you wouldn't label yourself that, but you know, you would find yourself on the other side of saints for sure, and, and you just uh, you know maybe aren't into the church thing that much, or you're just not sure what you think about Jesus and all this religious stuff. And uh, you know, or maybe you're listening online and you're not here, and that's fine too. If you, if that's you today. I would ask just in this introductory message that one, you would keep coming back. You know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk straight to saints. But that's, I think, going to be good for a lot of sinners to hear too, because sometimes, you know, that's one of the reasons that sinners don't want to come into the church, is because of saints. And so maybe it would be healthy to hear uh, what God has to say to them too. And, and then we'll get to you as well. And we'll spend time talking directly to you. So I'd ask you to keep coming back. But for today, just to have something practically to do, would you just take inventory of your life? What are you doing with all that God has given you and blessed you with in this life? You know what prodigal means? Extravagantly wasteful. Because that young man wasted everything the father had given him. 
And we all would do well to ask ourselves, at the end of my life, am I going to be able to look back and say, I used what I was given and made a difference? Or are we going to look back and say, look at all I wasted? I was given so much, what did I do with it? Where did the time go? Where did all that money go? Where did all my energy go? How did I treat all those relationships? So I would just ask you to take inventory of what are you doing with what God has given you? And maybe that's something you're going to have to spend some time thinking about. Or maybe you've already hit that low where you feel like you've already wasted away everything. And you're in that spot that the prodigal son got to the very bottom of life's pit. If that's where you're at today, would you come home? As the Father is ready and waiting to welcome you. To the saints here today, we have to do take inventory too, but of our attitudes and our hearts. Do, do our hearts, does your heart beat for the same things that the Father's heart beats for? Does your heart break for the same sort of things that break the Father's heart? Sometimes we get real worked up and torn up about things that I don't think he really cares that much about. And other times things happen and there's a world around us, you know, dying and broken and we, and we turn a blind eye to it. Or it just doesn't really touch us. We've got to take inventory too of what about our attitudes? You know, and sometimes we catch ourselves saying things like, well, I hope that sort of person never shows up here. That's going to be weird. How are we going to deal with that? What if one of those, like, you know, there's sinners and then there's like the real sinners. What if one of the real sinners shows up here? What are we, I hope that doesn't happen. Because we're not sure how we're going to deal with it. We're not sure how we're going to handle it. We don't want controversy. We don't want to offend people, whatever. And so we hope they don't show up. <laughs> That's not the Father's heart, is it? So we have to check our attitudes as well. And specifically, for us here at Cypress Street Church of God, we've got to take inventory and say, are we an equal opportunity church? I know you've heard of equal opportunity lenders and equal opportunity employment and all that stuff, and you may be like, Pastor, that's half the stuff that's wrong with this country in the first place. (laughs) We don't need that stuff at church. Well, the good news for you is that, unlike the government... You know, God's not going to shut you down. Or, uh, well, I mean, maybe he would. But he, he doesn't force stuff on you the way that maybe a government would. The bad news is you signed up with the wrong God. Because Jesus made it very clear in this story and others that God is an equal opportunity God for sinners and for saints. And if this church... Not the building, but the people. If we, as a people, are not an equal opportunity church, then we signed up with the wrong God, friends. 
Because that's who he is. And so we have to take inventory on a regular basis as a leadership, as a people, not only of our individual hearts, but as a church. Are we the sort of place that a sinner would come? Are we the sort of place that if they did come, they would feel welcome? And the people who stand up on this stage and talk, the, the chair people, the music people, the, and me, of course, we have to check, you know, what are we saying? And are the things we say, would they make someone who is an outsider feel like they knew what was going on and, and would feel like, hey, these people care that I'm actually here and they're actually glad that I'm here? Or do they make, does it make them feel like, I don't even know what's going on around here. I feel completely unwelcome. We have to think about the words that come out of our mouth, right? And then we've got to think about things like music. Because we live in a culture, whether we like it or not, where music's all over the place. And it's shifting and it's changing and the way people sing changes and the way all that stuff has changed as a culture. So we have to think about music. And we have to think about, you know, just when someone comes in here, are they able to participate? Does it sound foreign to them or does it sound like something they could engage with? Does it inspire them? Does it, feel, does it make them feel like, wow, this God, it really is awesome. We have to think about that too. And a whole host of things that we have to consider. We have to consider you know, how we organize our, our programming and all that. But really, it's more than what happens in here, right? I mean, we have to prepare a place that would be welcoming. But the real way to make someone feel welcome is not to wait for them to show up here. But to do what the Father did. And go out to meet him, Right? So you are welcome here. So we have to take inventory. Are we an equal opportunity church? Or do we still have attitudes that we need to work on? You know, are we still more concerned that church around here gets done the way we like it? Or are we willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the lost? My papa passed away a few years back. Uh, one of the things that I really admired about him was now first off you got to know he loved music grew up singing it his whole family sang they had a, a with his siblings a quartet they they loved southern gospel music in particular they went to a, a church that was you might say for at least by church of god standards pretty progressive and uh, cutting edge they were very focused on the lost they did not sing his favorite kind of music. Like pretty much never. It was so loud sometimes that it, like, you know, he, he had sensitive ears and sensitive nerves and he just couldn't handle it. So sometimes he would just wait to come in until the loudest part was over. <laughs> sometimes he might would have to step out for a second. But he made sure that the pastor and the people there knew that he wasn't wanting them to change a thing. 
He wanted there to be a church long after he was gone. He wanted there to be people reached for Christ that weren't going to be reached by the music of his youth. And so he didn't want them to change a thing. He just sometimes had to take a break. <laughs> it wasn't his thing. And he could go home and pop in his, his CD you know, or put on the, the Gaither DVD and he was good. He was in heaven, you know. But he didn't want that for his church. Because he knew sinners and saints both ought to feel welcome at church because we serve an equal opportunity God. And I pray that all of us will have that heart. Because I don't ever want to stand at the gates of heaven and see any of the people that I have loved and ministered to and cared for and that they've cared for me standing outside unwilling to go into the celebration because of who's inside and the way it's being done. And that's the risk we run when we don't buy into the Father's heart. This is the light message for the saints, by the way. <laughs> I thought I would just ease us into it over a three-week course. So just, you know, you might want to sit out the third week. That's where it really <laughs> comes home. But this is just step one, right? This is step one. We have to understand the heart of God. And if we aren't willing to accept the idea that saints and sinners both have equal opportunity with God, we can't take the next step. That's step one. Think about this story as we wrap this up one more time. Just the story, not all the theological ramifications of it and so forth. But just the story. A father and his sons. Who do you identify with in that story? Maybe you've got teenage or college age kids. You identify a lot with the father and what he must have been feeling. Or, or maybe, you know, it hadn't been that long ago since you really identified with the prodigal. Or, or maybe you really were the one who always stayed home and did the right stuff. And, and you'd identify with that older son. But I think all of us marvel at the Father's love, don't we? I mean, when you think about that story, it, it reminds us, I mean, it's something we identify with, especially if you've ever had kids. But even if you haven't had kids, you still have a sense of it, don't you? That there's nothing that father wouldn't do for his child. There was nothing that that son could do out there in his wastefulness that would keep him from welcoming him home. But what's really amazing is the third son. You don't know the third son? That's fair because the third son wasn't technically in the story. The third son was telling the story. And it was the third son who cared so much about his younger brother and that older brother that he went and gave his life so that they could be welcomed in.
so that they could be made sons and co-heirs. The prodigal son reminds us that a story doesn't have to be true to be true. (laughs) It's a story Jesus made up. But it's got more truth in it than most true stories I know. With the exception of the truest story of all. That Jesus really was born. That he really did live. That he really did teach us these things. That he really did die for our sins. And he really did resurrect from the dead. And he really is coming again. We have this hope, sinners and saints, that thanks to his sacrifice, thanks to what he did, thanks to the fact that that third son now sits beside the Father and vouches for us, we have this equal opportunity to come to God and both of us be willing to confess and both of us be willing to repent and choose a different way. And to every sinner and to every saint who chooses to do that, there's a great celebration awaiting. Don't close yourself out, but come home. That's the plea today. Let's stand together and pray. Father, Thank you that we have equal opportunity. Everyone here in this room, everyone that ever listens to this message, whether we are sinners or saints or whatever we are, we all have equal opportunity to join your kingdom. God, some of us, we need to confess sinful lifestyles. Others, sinful hearts and attitudes that don't look anything like your heart and attitude. Holy Spirit, make something new of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.